John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. 
I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. God, you are holy. And God, I liked what Pastor Barry said, that that doesn't make us afraid of you. But God, we love you and we trust you because you are holy in everything you do, in your very essence, in your character, and in your power. And God, help us to revel in this holiness of yours. And God, help us to become more holy, more sanctified, more set apart for your service and for your pleasure. God, I pray for the preaching of your word that it would be with power. God, it is your Holy Spirit that opens our eyes and gives us faith that we can see and believe the truths in your word. So God, work in us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to surrender and submit and open our hearts to hear from your word what you have to say to us this morning. And I pray, God, that you would be with Barry, that his words would be with clarity, that they would be in truth, that they would be in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, that we would be go away changed. We would come into this building one way, and God, as we go out into our communities, we would be a different way, a more sanctified, a more holy, a more submitted, a more obedient way. So God, we need you to work in us, and God, help us to praise you and to worship you in this uh, preaching and in hearing of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I have a conviction that's based a little bit on skepticism, I confess, that I don't like practicing any form of religion or Christianity where I can't go to my Bible and say this corresponds. And in particular, in the last few months, I have been thinking about the subject of discipleship. Discipleship is an industry in the evangelical church today. And the reason I turn to John chapter 14 is because I believe that in John chapter 14, you have the place that we can go to in the Bible that we need to align ourselves with when we talk and think about discipleship. In other words, if you open your Bible and think, well, the church talks a lot about discipleship. We use the word discipleship an awful lot. But where do I find in my Bible what discipleship is all about. And so I began to read particularly through the Gospels and the words of Jesus and his words to his own disciples. And the Gospel of John is, is a place that, I, place that I settled, John chapter 14, as exactly that. In John 14, it opens with Jesus comforting his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And in using the word trouble, he puts his finger on one of the primary activities of our heart. Sometimes they're troubled. We've just gone through a Christmas season. Perhaps there are things about gathering with family and all of that that, that troubles your heart. Anticipating a new year and all of the things in, 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 that are lying ahead for us. Perhaps there are things that, that, that trouble your heart. But these are words that are often associated with a funeral. In fact, I read these very words from John chapter 14 at a memorial service for one of our people not too long ago. But the thing that was troubling the disciples' hearts was not their own death. They weren't troubled about dying. What was troubling their hearts is that Jesus had just said, I'm going to die. 
it was Jesus' words about his own death. He says it, and he would, in the next few days, be offering up his life. And this is what was troubling him. And so, John chapter 14 and Jesus' comfort to his disciples, it, it's not a text for funerals. It is a text for living. Because Jesus goes on to describe how his death will make a way to the Father. Not only when we die, that's only the final leg of our journey, but a way to the Father while we yet live. Jesus says, you know him and you have seen him. He says, I'm going to come back and the Father and I, we're going to make our home with you. And that in a nutshell is biblical discipleship. The path of living that goes to the Father because of what the Son has done, has done, and it is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. All three of those components are very, very clear in this chapter. So it's not a description of how to die, it's a description of how to live, and how we live as disciples is on a path to the Father. That's, it's that simple. Biblical discipleship, if you want to embrace and participate in a kind of discipleship where you can open your Bible and say, yes, this corresponds to the scriptures or something of the authority and the integrity of what God actually speaks in his word about how I think about being a disciple of God, that's it. It is through the work of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, you're on a path to the Father. Not just when you die, but as we live to be brought into the proximity of a father. Now, when I talk about the father, this would be another, another uh, children's definition, except I'm going to use the word trajectory. Uh, our, our, the heavenly father, when I speak of the father, is not simply, don't think of your human father and a trajectory somewhere beyond that. Okay? That creates a lot of problems. When I speak of the heavenly father, when Jesus speaks of the heavenly father, he's speaking of somebody absolutely unique, not like any human father. God Almighty, holy and omnipotent, the maker of all things, who is good and does good, who is full of wisdom and power. That is the father that we are on the path to, not only when we die, but as we live. That is the, the grand idea. That is the, 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 the governing concept, the, the roof under which all of the activities of discipleship need to be brought under on a path to the Father. So don't, don't mistake the activities of discipleship for the substance of discipleship. In other words, we can be busy doing a whole lot of things that are all very good and be, can be, be defined in terms of activity of, of, of discipleship, but if they're not brought under this one roof, if they're not brought into this, this overarching idea, into this house, then it's all wonky. Let me tell you why I believe that's true. For one reason, there are so many voices when it comes to discipleship. You ever feel confused? You ever read your Bible and not understand it? We need a grand idea. Ever listen to the evangelical church today and the number of different opinions there are on what we should be doing and how Christians should live? I have gone through seasons in my life where I have been brought to my knees in absolute perplexity through the discord and the number of voices that are in the church. 
I need a governing idea. I need one thought to, to bring all of my activities under the roof of this one thing and say, this is how it works. This is what gives it integrity. There's also a lot of pride in the church. And a lot of discipleship is under the roof of pride. It's brought into the house of pride and built a house of pride, and that's where Phariseeism comes from. All the activities of the Phariseeism, their activity wasn't wrong in and of itself, but it was a God replacement. And that's the irony of discipleship, is it can become a God replacement. Another reason why we need this overarching idea is because of our vulnerability. Vulnerability to manipulation. When we speak of the things of religion, we're talking about our identity. We're dealing with things like guilt. We're dealing with things like shame. And there is a tremendous vulnerability of being taken advantage of in the name of Jesus to manipulate and to coerce and to control people. And we call it discipleship. As I say, it's, 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 <laughs> it's an industry in the church, but discipleship isn't something that we do. It is someone that we know. And all that we do is because of the someone that we know. The church is fixated on discipleship as something that we do because it's easier than knowing somebody, I think. All of the things that we as Christians do in, 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 in the activities of our life and serve this one great purpose, making our way to the Father. This is what unites us because Jesus came to make that possible. And this is the identity that Jesus gives to us, people who belong to their heavenly Father. So here's the main point that I'd like you to be able to take home with you today. If you don't get anything else, I hope that you that you get this, that Christian discipleship is simply this, that it is the path that leads to the Father. Are you on the path? <laughs> Do you know your Father? Do you think like your Father? Do you begin to act like your Father intuitively because you're thinking like your Father? It is the path to the Father. Why? Because that is the path that the Son's obedience has made possible for us. You talk about, why did, why did Jesus come? And you go through all of the answers that might be on the top of our head, and all of them are, are correct. For example, that Jesus came to, to die for our sins. That's absolutely right. But I still follow with the question, well, why? So what? Why do I need my sins forgiven? What if I don't have any? Well, he came to give his life as an atonement. Well, what does that mean? Well, he came to take us to heaven. Well, who wants to go there? All of that. All of those things which are so very true, they're necessary because of the overarching purpose of Jesus to take us to the Father, who is holy, who is heavenly, and is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank the Lord for that. That it isn't just something Jesus dumps on us and says, go do it. Figure it out. But it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And John, all of it's here in this, this particular chapter of, of of, of the Bible. And it's a very poignant moment between Jesus and his, and his disciples. And it's why I, I go to this particular text and ask the question, Jesus, what does it look like to follow you? If I set everything aside and come to my Bible and say, Lord, I just want, I want, I want this between you and the scriptures. 
And he isn't haranguing the, the Pharisees here. He's not teaching about the law. He's not dealing with the Sabbath. He's not talking in parables. He's not demonstrating his omnipotent powers over creation. This is between him and his disciples, and their hearts are troubled. And the poignant moment is saying, this is what you need to know. And it's what all the people after you will need to know. I'm going to get you to the Father. That's where I'm going. And you will know him because you've seen him if you've seen me. And we're going to come and we're going to make our home with you. And that's going to be the Christian life. Let me speak firstly briefly about the Father. Jesus makes it clear, I believe, that, that discipleship isn't the path from something, first and foremost, but rather it is the path to someone. Do you understand that? I think discipleship has largely been defined as the path from something. You can't do that anymore. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I don't say that anymore. Oh, I don't go there anymore. I'm a Christian. Well, what roof is that being built under? And it's fundamentally a a, a negative idea. And we wonder why people think Christianity is such a negative thing. And so we we try to make it pleasant. We try to make it attractive. And the way that we try to make it attractive is we water it down. Say, oh, actually, you know what? I'm a Christian, but I can go there. I can do that. And there's virtually no difference between Christians and unbelievers. What makes Christianity attractive is not watering it down. What makes it pleasant and attractive is that people dwelling in the proximity to a heavenly father thrive so wondrously in the world that God himself made through his wisdom that people go, wow, it really works. Discipleship is not purely a negative idea. Don't misunderstand what we do leave those things, but that's not the substance of discipleship. That's That's the fruit of it. And that negative idea needs to change, I believe. This is how I've lived my life. I've never perceived discipleship to be a negative thing. I did growing up in the church. I perceived it to be a negative thing. Like, oh boy, if I'm not going to go to hell, someday I'm going to have to just give up and, and, and go with the church. And something completely changed in my life dramatically when I was young. And it was this. That discipleship isn't a negative concept. It is a positive idea that I belong to a heavenly father who both made me and loves me. That is a positive idea. You look at the metaphors in scripture. Is light positive? (laughs) Absolutely. Is salt positive? Absolutely. Is darkness positive? No. (laughs) It's It's not a positive idea at all. It's a very, very negative thing to walk and to, to live in darkness. Discipleship is this positive idea of belonging and being on a path to the Heavenly Father. And while on that path, it is a positive path, a positive direction, things fall away. As I'm brought into the proximity of the living God, his love makes a lot of things no longer necessary in my life. It's not because I'm told, you don't have to think that way anymore. You don't have to worry about what that person thinks. You don't need to live up to that person's stereotype of who they think you should be. You don't need to worry about your identity with them. Nobody has to tell you that because you are in proximity and face-to-face with a heavenly Father who loves you. And things change. God is real. And that changes everything. His wisdom makes a lot of things look foolish. (laughs) 
So you don't have to be told. You don't have to be manipulated. You don't have to be guilted into saying, you know what? That's really stupid. You shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) Because you're brought into the proximity of the ruler and the maker of all things. If you want to figure out how to use something when it might be dangerous, talk to the person who made it. And he'll show you how to use it. I marvel at Proverbs chapter 8, which is a personification of Christ in glorying and rejoicing over the capacity and the role and the command to create all that God spoke into existence. And it was made to be good. It was made to be enjoyed. And the son delighted with wisdom to make all that God made. Read Proverbs chapter 8 sometimes. It's a a marvelous uh, proclamation of the positive nature of all that God had made. And when we are in the proximity of the God who made it, then we begin to learn the wisdom of how it is to be enjoyed. And his holiness, his holiness makes a lot of things begin to look evil. It's not our own moral indignation that says, oh, that's evil. It's being brought into the presence of a holy heavenly father that says, this, this would grieve my father. That's what it is. This would grieve my father. And so Christians begin to take notice of when they realize that they're supporting things that are intentionally designed in our culture to undermine God, to blaspheme him, and to normalize things that are directly contrary to his goodness. That's biblical discipleship. And it flows from proximity to God as our heavenly father. There is a a growth in the life of a believer, in holiness, in wisdom, in restfulness, because of a kind of, of congruency that comes from knowing the Father. Proverbs 16.6 says that the fear of the Lord, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. What do you fear? Not by the fear of your neighbor. What do they think? Not by the fear of Christians, of peer pressure, what do they think? Not by the fear of the pastor, not by fear of the church, not by fear of hell, but by fear of the Lord. One turns away from evil. Philip gets it. Verse 8, Philip says this, Lord Jesus, show us the Father and it will be enough. (laughs) Absolutely, enough. That's exactly why Jesus came, is to give us what would be enough. And he says to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's exactly what I came to do. I came to show you the Father. And we're going to live with you. We're going to dwell with you in the power of the Spirit. It's a, it's a statement of sufficiency. And Paul in Ephesians 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There's a reason why we've used 2 Peter 1, 3 over and over and over again here in this church this past year that says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, a God of glory and excellence. And that is actually what changes us, the son. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those words are often quoted without what follows. What follows is this, that no one comes to the Father except through me. It's all about getting to the Father. It's not a 
question to refute universalism, although it does that too. The question isn't, will, will, will Muslims go to heaven or will Buddhists go to heaven? The question is, will the Christians get to the Father? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Son delights to do all that the Father commands him, to make a way to the Father, and to create people who would live like the Father in this world, just as he did. It's impossible to have anything to do with Jesus that, it, that is not a submersive experience in the Father. And that's, that's so critical. So when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father ex except through me, it isn't a text of what happens when, what happens when we die. That's just the final leg of the journey. It, it's, it's a text that shows the disciples how they will live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It is a text for living and to show the disciples how it is that they will live. People who have a way to the Father, people who know the truth about the Father, people who experience the life that only comes from the Father. There's an old saying that says, pastors, and I would in include elders in this, that we've been, as a group of elders, been working through this as a helpful encouragement to us that pastors should smell like sheep because we're shepherds. And so in other words, there isn't a, a tunnel that goes from the study to the pulpit. It's a, it's a pastor that goes from the study to the pulpit. And, and pastors, or sorry, shepherds spend a lot of time with sheep. And so they should smell like sheep if they're true to their vocation. So you might want to move away from Chris uh, down there. It's not, that, it's not that you smell. It's that that is what gives our vocation and our calling integrity. And Christians should smell like the Father. That is what gives our life its substance. It is what gives our life its integrity. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2.14. He says, I smell like God. I am the aroma of God to you. I am the fragrance of God to you. Isn't it a fascinating way of a, of a completely different paradigm way of thinking about what Christianity looks like? I smell like God to you. Think of the Old Testament priests who would have been in the presence of God's worship all of the time. They would have smelled like smoke all the time, right? If you don't smell like smoke, you are no priest. And if we don't smell like the Father, then we're no Christians. It's what we are. It's, it's, it's our identity. We belong to the Father. It is our path. And these are all things that we need. We need a path. It, we, the path is to the Father. It is our purpose which is to know him and to, to glorify him. Let me tell you something about me. I, you'll notice I use the Proverbs a lot. I spend a lot of times in the Proverbs. I inflict it on anybody that I can. Please read the Proverbs. I read them habitually, systematically. Not as the only thing I read, but I, I read different places in the Bible every time I open it. Old Testament, New Testament, prophets, epistles, wisdom, and Proverbs. This is why. And I just figured this out recently, or in my own mind formulated this recently as to why. Imagine if you could go into your, into your father's room and say, how do you think? What's in your mind? That's what the book of Proverbs is like. It's like going into a closed room with God and saying, 
I need to know how you think. I need to know what's in your mind. Have you spoken <laughs> about what's in your mind? And that's what the book of Proverbs is. God has spoken. It changes everything. What do you think about sex? What do you think about friendship? What do you think about money? What do you think about discourse and words? What do you think about emotion? What do you think about anger? What do you think about neighbors? And when Proverbs says there's six things the Lord hates, seven that he despises, I stop dead in my tracks and go, wow, there's the mind of God. We need the mind of our Father. The third is the Spirit, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Verse 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And it is the Spirit of truth. Verse 26 says that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It is a great comfort that immediately on the heels of affirming his authority in all things, Jesus says, if you love me and keep my commandments, verse 15, which is a very significant verse, because what did Moses say? Moses said, love God and obey him. Moses says, there's going to come someone else who is greater than me. And here's Jesus saying, love me and obey me. The fulfillment of all that Moses looked for. And what Jesus says about believing him and obeying him all has to do with getting to the Father. But he promises the Spirit in order that that would be possible. It answers the grand question of how, Jesus? How? And the Spirit is necessary. And the Spirit, just as necessary as the Spirit is, is needed, it is also assuredly given. And the Spirit is given for this purpose, that we would know the power of God. The power of God to call Jesus Lord and to call God our Father. That's Spirit-filled religion. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, you receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. And this is what bears fruit in our life. Abba, Father. What do you like, Father? You are holy. You are beautiful. You are wise. You are good. You are perfect. And you are shown to us by the Son. That is what animates us. Not pride, not shame, not insecurities, not peer pressure, not fear. God, help us to heed the words of Jesus. It says, believe in God. Believe also in me. By your mercy and grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.